all the way from Bokota Village, we bring you Missionary Minds, where you can learn about family, church history, biblical worldview issues, and of course, missions, all from the mind of a real-world missionary of almost 20 years. But he said, on September the 12th, Phil Hunt, a faithful servant of God serving as a missionary in Zambia, wrote a post on Facebook that I really enjoyed. It involved words of caution around gospel efforts in Africa and practices that could unintentionally, and I quote, hurt or defeat the goal of producing healthy, reproducing churches in Africa. There were seven points he posted, and if uh, we attempted to tackle that many, then we may as well set up a Christmas tree and pull out the New Year's resolution notepad <laughs> in preparation for how long the podcast would take. As much as we would enjoy that conversation, I'll spare our listeners and just limit the discussion today to a few points. And I'll state the first caution and we can just be, uh, begin discussing from there. One of the practices he states could harm the goal of establishing a reproducing church is supporting overseas pastors with monthly support. So I wanted to start by just getting what your thoughts are on that. How should foreign churches in a different context think about supporting local pastors where the mission work is happening? That's a great question. And I'd like to read that article that he wrote. That sounds like a thoughtful list from a man who's well-seasoned. Questions of how to apply theology to life must be done with an eye to something other than the Bible. Don't judge me. I'm not a heretic. I really do love the Bible and believe in sola scriptura, but we don't believe in in nuda scriptura, nothing but the scripture. So if you ask me, is Jesus God? Then, then I just go right to the scripture and it's sola scriptura. And, and really, for that question, it's new descriptura. I just need only the Bible to answer, is Jesus God? Because the Bible explicitly says that. To apply the scriptures to any practical area requires that we know something outside the scriptures. We can't determine if contraception is, let's say, murder, or if it's a wise way that we are attempting to subdue the earth. Is this a wise use of wisdom and experience, or is this a kind of murder or unfaithfulness? And the answer would be, go look, go look outside the scripture in order to understand what's happening in the world. You have to do that with building a car engine and then determining how can cars be used and how should they be used, with writing laws about speed limits. Would a Christian make a speed limit law? Well, we're, we're going to have to know something about speed limits and cars and transit and society and the movements of people. I think the same thing applies to this. Superficial conclusions on missiology are incredibly damaging because we are moved by our heart that has not been wisely and biblically informed. Often we do that because we haven't done the hard work of exegeting life and the world. We may, we may know, okay, the Bible says thou shalt not kill. Great. But have you accurately studied what killing is or what life is out in the world in order to apply it, for example, to contraception as just one example 
among many. So then, if we come here to the question of going to all the world and preach the gospel to all creatures, and you say, I'm going to send my money and that will be my going, well, you should probably understand the nature of man who is receiving your money and the nature of money that is being sent. So all of that to say, it's a complicated, it's a complicated issue. It should not be dealt with lightly. It should be a matter first of reflecting on the nature of humanity, and it should be a matter of reflecting on the nature of history, and a matter of reflecting on the nature of money. And as we think about that, I, I really would like to hear more of Phil Hunt's thoughts. He did say that more discussions would be had, and so I'd look forward to those. Uh, as we think about the nature of man, the nature of money, and how that can affect what happens as we're trying to establish a local church. So let's just use our context here, and let's say it's Valdesia. Valdesia Rock Baptist Church, which has a wonderful story, and we're trying to establish that church, and we need a teacher there. What, how does the nature of man and the nature of money play into the decision of whether or not he should be supported from abroad? Excellent, excellent. That, that's a perfect example, because Rock Baptist has 16 members, two of whom live far away because of work, 14 of whom are there. All, every single one of the 16 members are first-generation Christians who are um, historically and sociologically not accustomed to reading, uh, relative to Americans, unusually poor, and attempting to live the Christian life without the wisdom of generations, because they've just come to the Christian life within the last 700 days. So now, in an attempt to do that, we would ask ourselves, what has history told us about what money does to people? So if I wrote a letter back to supporting churches in the U.S. and said, oh, look at these people, 16 church members, and only three jobs of those 16, 13 of them don't have jobs, a number of them are young people, many of them are women, they're so poor that the average offerings are about uh, 400 rand a month, which works out to 20 US dollars a month. Um, can't we have some sympathy and some compassion? And can, can we get some Americans to give $200 a month to support this, this church? What would happen? That would immediately make their offerings 10 times what they currently are. What would happen to the heart of man? What would happen to those people and their feeling of responsibility? What would happen to their ability to learn the discipline of planning, saving, budgeting? What would happen to their contentment? What would happen to their interpersonal tensions and squabbles when one person, let's say, has more access to that $200 a month than the other 15 people? And what would happen if, say, Three of those people want access to that money as well, so then they begin to lie or, or change their persona in order to get access to the money. What might happen in five years' time over those fights? All those questions need to be grappled with. And, and if I understand Brother Hunt correctly, he's, he's maybe calling for, before you do that, 
think about what might happen in all those scenarios. To my left, uh, there is a book that I'm looking at right now called Economics in One Lesson by Hazlitt. And he argues that the one lesson that you need to know in economics is simply ask yourself, before we make this decision, what will happen not only today, but what will happen in the future? And what will happen not only to me, but what will happen to all the groups that might be affected? That's the one lesson that can teach you everything you need to know about economics. We need to ask, we need to ask that as well about missions. Mm-hmm. Thanks, brother. Uh, I'd like to discuss more on that, and I know we could, but for the sake of our time, I'd like to uh, take it to the next one. He cautions against buying into pop missions culture and philosophy that suggests that there's a quick methodology for raising leaders in the field and growing healthy, reproducing churches. And I've often wondered in light of that, as I've uh, started here and have been involved in the ministry and seeing uh, the reality of what I think it was um, J.C. Ryle wrote in Thoughts for Young Men. He said that when an oak is but a sapling, a young boy can move it over. But when it is fully grown, a hundred men couldn't move it over. And he speaks about people who are older struggling to come to terms with the things of faith. He's speaking more of coming to Christ. And I'm even thinking further than that of then training these people to live like Christians. And so when you're thinking of establishing a healthy reproducing church, is it ever possible to have leaders that are raised up quickly in that context, in a context like ours? It must be possible because it happened in the book of Acts. But it's probably unique because it happened in the book of Acts. If, if the training of a man and the sculpting of a soul reflects the Trinity, and I believe it does, then there would be a, an element of theology. They must learn facts. They must master the concept of justification by faith. They must learn the hypostatic union of Christ. They must, they must understand the laws of hermeneutics. Those things are facts to be learned, and very important facts. They are truth. And those things can be relatively quickly assimilated if you've got the other two. The other two elements of the shaping of a soul would be the affections of the heart, which I don't know that those can ever be quickly moved, although maybe in, in, by God's providence and, or through some miracle, he could, he could do that. Perhaps that happened with the Apostle Paul when he turned from hatred to love in three days. But the affections seem to be that kind of thing that cannot be moved quickly. It's, it's a tank that is filled a drop at a time, which is why it's so important. Uh, the third element, and that is the, the lifestyle, the actions. I think our actions and our lifestyle are, are the, the, the instrument, the control, the amount of drops that, that pour into the affections. So that if we have certain disciplines and habits set in place, Peter speaks of this when he speaks of the, the former manner of life and then your new manner of life. 
If you have a manner of life or a culture or a system of, of basic actions, if you have a system of basic actions that is, that is set and calibrated with a certain aperture opening, maybe a camera picture would communicate that well, that when the picture is taken, if the aperture is opened so that more light comes in, then the exposure happens more quickly. But if our apertures are closed, that only only a little bit of light, or in, to change the metaphor, only a few drops of water can get out, it's going to take longer to fill that bucket. My point is, men take a long time to have their character and their affections formed. So outside of a miracle, I don't look for those things to happen quickly. And what I originally thought when I came here was, let's pour theology into men. And we were able to teach that relatively quickly, and a number of men learned the doctrines of the confession of faith pretty quickly. But we found very soon after that, there was lying and there was character flaws. If you're going to go to something else, can I just tell a brief story, or do you want to follow that up with a question? No, no, no. I'm going to follow up with something, but you can tell the story. Let me tell you a story. We trained a number of men in our Bible Institute, Limpopo Bible Institute, and then we found out the night before one of our graduate, our second graduation, we had five men who were about to graduate, and we had asked one of them to give a testimony of how God had worked in his life at the graduation service. And he said, I'll be glad to do that. And he got his testimony ready. And the day before he was going to give his testimony at the graduation, uh, we asked him, go ahead and, and give your, your testimony. And he, he explained how he was a drunk and a thief and had um, done so many evil things that the people in his town hated him. And then he came to South Africa and got a job. And then he found Christ. And now he's completely different. And he went back to his village. And the people, when he went home, they were shocked to see the change. And then when he finished his testimony, I was amazed because I'd never heard this. And I mentioned his name and said, Sir, I, I, knew, I never knew this. Did this really happen to you? And he responded so oddly that I pressed him again. Wait, did that really happen to you? It came out, Carney. Everything he said was a lie. And I said, I, I didn't think that was true because I've asked you how you were converted before. Are you saying you just, what, what? And he said, I thought that was the kind of story you were asking me to tell. Now, this is a man who's about to graduate from Bible college, who on his tests answered the doctrinal questions correctly. And in his exegesis and in his sermon, he exegeted correctly, but he had not formed the character of his habit to the point that he could simply speak the truth. So that if someone says, give your testimony, he has to guess what kind of thing do you want to hear rather than saying, oh, I always speak the truth. I was shocked and dismayed. And maybe I finally got my certificate that day. Maybe I finally learned something that day, that we need to take time to form the character and the affections. Those two things are formed uh, generally at a much slower rate than you can pass on doctrinal truths. That's a, a very fitting story. And, and I've got more where that one came from, but that's just one. Mm, we need future episodes on this, evidently. I think on a ministry I'm primarily involved in, and that's with Kids Club, where I round up a bunch of kids. 
and we try to teach them the truths of the faith, the truths of the Bible, and memorizing the Bible and falling in love with the Bible. And the more time I spend with these kids, the more I grow confident that if they're invested in for 10 years, then they could add to the number of healthy believers in 10 years. But there's no way to shortcut that. And the reason I'm thinking of the kids is because of that J.C. Ryle quote. And I think of what you've just said with the the drops going into the bucket. Uh, Someone who's older, in a sense, has a much bigger bucket. And he's already filled it with other... Exactly. other content exactly exactly and this is now i'm I'm thinking of um the newsletter that i'm about to write and i was thinking of focusing on uh, children in a way in that newsletter because i've been thinking on this and how jesus tells the disciples not to keep the children away from him mm-hmm. uh, and thinking that whereas a, a big person may have a huge bucket a, a child can be a teaspoon or a cup because they haven't had the whole life of forming all these habits and and, and character traits. And if you invest in them for 10, 15 years, then there's been more time that they've known the things of the Lord than time that they haven't. Can Uh, I offer a possible uh, improvement on that illustration? uh I I don't know if there's a difference in the size of the buckets. Maybe an adult is a bucket and a child's a bucket, but one's got, one has had more more, uh, liquid poured into it. He might have bleach, he might have sewage, he might have pure water, he might have milk, he might have nothing. Um, But they're all, uh, Charlotte Mason, I think I've referenced her before, one of her educational principles, her very first educational principle, is, as much as I think it's awkwardly phrased, I think it applies to this scenario. Her first educational principle is, children are born persons. What she means by that is, they don't have to become more personal as they grow, they only need to be shaped and filled up. Mm. They got the same amount of personal bucket from the time of their conception. Mm. They just, they just, uh, we just have to fill them and we can only fill them. So may, maybe then we'd have to say, children are completely empty buckets. Well, they've got sin. <laughs> mm. But then to fill them, there's only a little pinprick of a hole. Maybe as they get older, the hole opens up. We can pour in more quickly. I don't know exactly how to fill. Maybe maybe I'm ruining it by trying to make the illustration <laughs> go further. But, but the, under, the basic understanding of the illustration is there. That much has to be invested yeah. to get the final result of healthy church members, which is where the healthy church leaders come from. In that context, and maybe for a man, if a man's if a man has is thirty years before he comes to the gospel, then maybe he says, "I really want my bucket to be empty, but it's been filled up with sludge." So, so here you are dripping your truth into my bucket, but a lot of the truth you're dripping in is pouring out because I can't even get enough sludge out in time. So it's it's a work it's a two way work. I've got to put on and put off. I've got to put off and put on, but. Here I am trying to put off, and I can't get it off quick enough to get it. So back and forth, and it's, it's difficult. Uh, Mugobe told me that a gentleman that we had the joy of leading to Christ back in 2018, who's now in, in Zim, and, and he said that, that had I only learned these teachings earlier, I could be so much farther. And I think what he meant by that is, I would have had more time to fill this up in my bucket. And he even said, it's like I've got to, to empty so much out. And that's true, brother. It takes time. There's no 
fast tracking it. There's no uh, pop missions culture that will solve the issue of needing uh, healthy and reliable church leaders. Okay, the last one. How should a church think through these things? Who's thinking of giving money to the cause of the gospel? Because there are already existing relationships between, let's say, American churches and African churches where African people are being supported by American, American churches. Yeah. yeah. And, and often disproportionately to anyone else in their village. Mm, mm. And so uh, this is one of, other, one of Phil Hunt's other points, but I don't want to get too in-depth with it because I haven't written it down as a quote. So I'm well, it's to be- amazingly dangerous. To, it is amazingly dangerous not to contemplate expectations of humans, uh, society where they're from, society where they're living. And if you cannot talk to a man openly about societal expectations, if you can't even talk to him about it, definitely don't support him. And if you sense this man has societal expectations beyond the society he's going to minister in and past the society that he grew up in, then, then again, I would not support him. I would want to know, what society did you come from? What was the average salary there? What society are you going to? What's the average salary there? What salary are you hoping for? And then ask him questions about, uh, have you pondered what money can do to you? One of the most uh, refreshing and encouraging quotes that I ever uh, heard from an African man was one of the graduates of our Bible college. We set up something called the Limpopo Bible, Net- Limpopo Bible Institute Network, the LBI Network, where we contacted Solo Five churches and other churches and said, would you be willing to hear a missions presentation from one of our graduates when they graduate, we'll write them a letter of recommendation, they can go and preach at your church, and then you can consider if you want to give them a thousand, two thousand, three thousand rand a month so that they can go to Zimbabwe or go to Mozambique. And a number of churches said yes, a few men said yes. One of the men who ended up going to Zimbabwe said, I do not want to be in the Limpopo Bible Institute network and I do not want to go to churches and preach. And this was his reasoning. And I, I, I was so shocked by his spirituality. He said, I do not want to be in the network, and I do not want support from churches because I don't trust myself. And I don't trust what I would do if I had a connection to money. Right now, I know that I will speak the truth to you, and I will speak the truth in what I do, because money is not pulling me one way or the other. I'd rather go to Zimbabwe based on what I can earn, rather than knowing that I'm, I'm always going to be tempted that, ooh, if, if I change something, maybe I'll get more money. I was really amazed with that. And that guy did go to Zimbabwe for a number of years, and then eventually uh, came back to South Africa so that he could get a job and support others in Zimbabwe. You shared earlier a story with a negative outcome and a saddening outcome. Uh, this is one that ends on a positive note, and I'd like to uh, stop right there. What a treat, Mfundisi. To our audience, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to rate it and subscribe to keep posted with more upcoming content. Feel free to share this episode with someone who might find it interesting and submit any questions you may want answered in a future podcast. You can email those questions to paulslayline at gmail.com. You can also visit betweentwocultures.com for other resources like this. 
I'm your host, Chemikani Katunga, and until next time, that's it from Missionary Minds. <laughs>